Welcome into the world with G right here on ESPN 105.1 The Zone, ESPN Chattanooga.com, and the TuneIn app. You could have been anywhere in the airwaves, but you're with me, and I appreciate that. Yeah, welcome in. Second hour here of the word with G in the middays. Greg Lawnard here. You there. Welcome in to Chattanooga's sports leader, ESPN 105.1 The Zone. I'll be with you until 2 o'clock. We've got an hour of national programming with uh, with my man Max Kellerman, and then we've got local programming coming back to you in the afternoon drive, 3 to 6 with Press Row. You know how we do it here on ESPN 105.1 The Zone. Wells Guthrie and David Paschal will be, we'll be with you for that. Get involved with the show today. Hit us up on the phone lines, 423-648-1051. Again, 423-648-1051 on Twitter. At G underscore ESPN 105.1, it's time for the best NBA talk in the scenic city. Without further ado, allow me to introduce our co-host for the hour, a man who hosts the award-nominated NBA Pick and Pop podcast. Good friend of mine, a man who I've worked alongside and, and with in many different avenues and ventures over the years. Long live the DL. And CBS Sports Radio, host of the NBA Pick and Pop podcast, Sam Dusenberry Jr. What's up, Sam? Gee, is it a very sunny day in a reasonably warm New York? Reasonably warm for February weather. So all all can't be. There's a lot of things I could complain about, but when I go outside and the sun is shining down, the melanin gets to flourish a little bit. The weather is good. The vibes are good. Let's talk some NBA, bro. Yeah, it's good around here as well. We got like low 70s, high 60s, and and nothing but sun today. So excited to be out and about and, and yeah, talking some sports. I, I just wish I had a window here in the studio to see outside. I, I have no concept. It was funny because on Monday I had the UTC softball coach on, and it was the first time I'd ever talked to him. And when I came in, it was rainy, but – there's not a lot of windows to the outside in our office, so I just assumed it continued to be kind of gloomy. And I got on the phone with him. I was like, he was like, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, you know, I could be better. I wish it was nicer outside. And he was like, what do you mean? It's it's nice and sunny out. And I was like, really? I mean, I haven't been outside since like 1030, and it must have changed up since uh, since I got in. Nothing says the South like a good old sun, sh- sun shower passing through. Doom and gloom, and within 10 minutes, it's nice and shiny, and it's like it never happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's crazy, man. All right, so let's talk a little NBA. And there's uh, there's a couple of things right off the bat that I wanted to get into. Obviously, I want to stay close to home here to begin things and, and talk a little bit about the Hawks. You and I have talked over the last couple of weeks about the Atlanta Hawks, and they've started to play a little bit better of late. They were really struggling there for a little while, but they've started to play a little bit better as of late, but they had a gosh, and I and I heard you on the podcast last week talking about you know the Hawks, and you've watched a lot of the Hawk games basically this season. And man, it, that was a tough one last night against the Cleveland Cavaliers to come up one point short when you were up by a point. And Trey Young takes a shot at the end there that may have been a little bit too quick, seven eight seconds left on the shot clock, and. You know, uh, then you had on that final possession, I don't know what in the hell Solomon Hill was doing, just literally trying to go after Colin Sexton, looked like he wanted to follow him, and then left the entire paint wide open. It was it was just an ugly. And then Why the, was he on the court? 
I don't know, man. They've been playing a lot of Solomon Hill. They, they, I mean, he's good defensively, but it didn't really make sense what he was doing. I mean, is he? Is he good defensively? He's all right defensively, good. but I mean, they got they got he's the guys right. hurting. Yeah, correct. He's 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 I. Right. I don't know in the crunch time spot. I don't care how many guys I'm down. I just don't know if I want to trust Solomon Hill against the other team's best ball handler. That 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 was my issue with it. But he wasn't even guarding Colin Sexton. He was like he came off of his guy and was like chasing him. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, that's what I'm saying. He's he's supposed to pick, but again, he shouldn't be in that position to have to choose whether to pick up Sexton and then be faced to have him in that type of situation. Like for me, he shouldn't have been on the court. Now, I I, I won't lie to you and say I watched the full game. I definitely like watched some some key moments. So I I I didn't have a feel mm-hmm. for how the rotation was last night, but I. Was he forced into action because of family? I mean, look, I know they got injuries on the wings, but was what was foul trouble a thing last night? Because I, I just don't understand the logic. And, and you know, I'm a big Lloyd Pierce guy. I don't understand the logic of Solomon Hill even being on the floor in that spot. Yeah, and they they started Tony Snell for the first time. I think I don't know how many starts he has this year, but I don't I don't reckon that he started a whole lot this Not year. And many. you, yeah, you know about Tony Snell because he played with the. Did he play with the Bulls for a little while? He, he was drafted by the Bulls. That's right. So, I mean, he's, he's a solid defender. He was there during the Thibodeau, the uh, meniscus tearing taskmaster, Tom Thibodeau era. So he has he has quick feet. He can move around. He's got some long arms. He, he's your prototypical 3 and D guy. The issue with Tony Snell is he wasn't making a lot of threes, and he was very short on the D. Pause. <laughs> And John Collins only played 13 minutes. And again, I didn't get a chance to watch this game. I actually, Sam, was one of my physical therapists. He coaches a, a couple of different basketball teams, and one of which is his daughter plays on. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I wanted to bring this up to you because, and I didn't realize this. And, and he was telling me, you know, it's a 13-year-old girls team, their travel team. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, I'm not really doing anything on a Tuesday night. I'll travel 15 minutes to go watch y'all play. Like, it would be kind of cool. So, I go to the game and I pay my four dollars to get in the door, which is kind of ridiculous just for a regular game. But it is what it is. Thirteen-year-olds yeah. uh, <laughs> again, and um, and I get in there and I see him and he bench full of girls, you know, and they're on the court, they're playing, and on the same court, they're they're playing against boys. And I'm thinking, I've oh. I've never seen this before. And and this was a travel team, like like, like a AAU type setup, yeah. like a high school or junior high school. Yeah. Interesting. I've never seen mixed gender travel teams play each other. I haven't seen that. that that's interesting. Yeah, and um, he he seems like a really good coach and a guy that uh, that that really knows the game inside and out. And he, he clearly loves it the way that he talks to me about it. And um, and but it was I I didn't ask him, and I'm gonna ask him tomorrow when I see him. But all the the boys were much smaller than the girls. The girls were much bigger than the boys were. So I'm wondering if there was like a little bit of an age difference there, if that's why they were kind of playing. But the girls ended up winning in overtime. That's that, that's great for the women. I'm always yeah. encourage girls basketball. For that, that, that's huge. Here's my question, and maybe because they're so young, they're not really able to grasp this. But was there any post-up play? Because that was always where the lines were always a little weird. Back in the days when playground stuff, you know, we, we had girls that would play ball with us, and we had some girls that were really nice. And um, it was always weird about as a man when you're playing post-up defense on a woman 
how aggressive can you be without it being misconstrued as something <laughs> else? So I know these are obviously younger, younger children. I'm assuming, but yeah, thirteen year old. Well, was there any any type of dynamic dynamic like that going on? No, it didn't seem like it. There, there was really not a whole lot of post play. It was more of at that age, as you know, I'm sure you know, it's sort of I'm not going to say sloppy basketball, but it's just kind of like. There's not a whole lot of D. You can kind of run around somebody, dribble around somebody, and then kind of throw up a running shot. There were a couple of threes. There was this one kid on one of the teams who was the smallest kid on the court. He was knocking down a bunch of threes. He made a jump shot to, to tie the game to go to overtime. So there was some good play back and forth, but there wasn't a whole lot of post play. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that, that, that that's interesting. Maybe um, your boy Trey Young could, could learn something about playing in the post if he played in that league. Possibly, possibly. Again, Sam Dewsbury Jr., again, our guest here on The Word with G, the weekly NBA Jam session. We can take phone calls. We figured out our phone issue, so we can get phone calls now with Sam on the line. So if you want to jump in, 423-648-1051. If you have any idea about this whole mixed gender thing going on here, I don't know if this is just like a Tennessee-Georgia type of thing, if this only happens really here, but you know, growing up in the Northeast, as a guy playing basketball, Sam played basketball growing up, I never played against women in terms of a uh, an organized setting. You know, like you said, there were there were right. times when the females would would run on with us. You know, with little street ball or pickup games, but never organized basketball. Yeah, that's that's you know, I played AAU for a little bit here in New York, and yeah, that was definitely not a thing. It was always separate. You know, equal but separate, which is interesting in the south. Okay, other if than. Other, yeah, other than uh, this game against the Cavs, again, I, I said, like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch all of it. I watched, like you said, just a couple of uh, major moments in the game. And But other than this game, outside of this game, the, the Hawks have been kind of struggling a little bit, but they've kind of got back to their winning ways a little bit. They had a, a two away games in Boston where they won one, they lost the other, and then they, 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 they played the Nuggets at home, and they got a nice win against them, and they'll play the, the Celtics at home again tonight. Um I know you said you've watched a lot of the Hawks. What has kind of changed for Lloyd Pierce's squad over the last couple of weeks or the last week or so in which that's that's enabled them to play a little bit better, getting the win against the Celtics and the Nuggets? Well, I think, one, shots are falling, and that's kind of where NBA analysis has kind of been dumbed down because of the uh, Steph Curry effect of, of basketball, the Steph and Clay effect over the last five, six, seven years here. It's literally just a make-or-miss league now, and it's a, little, it's a little alarming for a guy like me that loves not necessarily the purity of basketball, because I think a lot of that is hyperbole, but in the sense of running plays, running schemes, establishing a tone, a lot of that stuff could just be wiped away if you just make all these threes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I have I don't know if I had the, the numbers correct, but I think just in terms of going back and rewatching some of the games, I think some of the shots that just weren't falling have fallen at a respectable clip now. And I know what what they had I think last week they had like a four game losing streak when I came on last week, right? Like a four or five game. Yeah, four streak. they lost four in a row and then it was seven out of eight. Right. So a a lot of that streak they were just not hitting the shots like we talked about Trey Young and whether he's a number one, a true number one, or just being forced into that because he's, you know, a lot has been dependent on him. And I think some of his shots have fallen. John Collins, I'm not really sure where he's at 
you know, as you mentioned, only 13 minutes last night, but just in the sense of what's his role? If they're going to keep him, what's going to be his role in this offense and on this team? Obviously, you know, like, like me, you have spoken about, this is a, a contract year for him, so who knows if he's even in the long-term plans. But just in the sense of if you're trying to win right now, if you're trying to make an impact, get into the playoffs, get Trey Young and this young core some playoff experience, even if it's just one round, I don't know what you're doing. And they brought in the vets to try to help, you know, facilitate that with Gallinari, with Bogdanovich, and with the point guard, Rajon Rondo. And they obviously have been in and out of the lineup, battling injuries and COVID protocol and things like that. But it's, it's just it's, – it's a weird mismatch unit with what they have left. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint what's working right now that wasn't working last week. Like, that's why they're such a weird team to kind of follow because I see the same plays. It's not like the sets are different. It's not like the rotations are, are different, barring injury. But sometimes the shots just fall. Sometimes the Trey Young 30-footer falls, and against other teams it doesn't. So it, it, it's a weird group. They're a hard team to really lock in on in terms of are they good, are they bad, under, are they overachieving, are they underachieving. Yeah, I would say at this point with the with I think the expectations coming into this season, and you even spoke about them on my other show back in Louisiana that you you had high expectations for this Hawks team coming into this year. I think a lot of people did, and a lot of people kind of picked this team as the under the radar type of team with all the moves that they made this off season. Trey Young being that kind of pseudo face of the, the the franchise, and John Collins kind of coming into his own, and they had Clint Capella there, and you know so they had some really nice pieces and. Again, like we mentioned, they just haven't been able to stay healthy. And and I think you're right that simply it just kind of comes down to the shots are just starting to fall. They've shot better in their wins. And it's, as you mentioned, kind of just dumbed down enough to that. And it's just kind of simplified enough to, hey, if the shots are falling, they can be good. And when they're not, they're not because they're not a defensive-minded team. They're not a group that's going to dig their heels in defensively and really can win that sort of game. They have to almost shoot the ball well if they want to have a chance to win. For sure. If, look, if, if Trey Young is, is your best player or, or your number one option, then defense is, is not going to be a mainstay for your main unit. You know, no matter what DeAndre Hunter went healthy and Cam Reddish went healthy, no matter what they could provide, even Capella, no matter what they could provide from a defensive standpoint, when Trey Young has the ball and he's your primary scoring option, you're going to be in trouble when, when the other team has the rock. You know, they're going to hunt him on defense. They're going to make sure he's in screen and roll so he can switch. They're going to do all of that to isolate him and expose him. So, yeah, it's hard to establish a, a deep defensive identity when Trey Young is always on the floor as your main guy. Sam Dusenberry Jr., again, our guest here on The Word with G. You want to join us? Hit us up, 423-648-1051. What are your thoughts on the Hawks? Do you have any questions for Sam about the Atlanta Hawks from what you've seen so far this year. Before we take a break, Sam, there was something that was interesting that came up on the podcast last week that I wanted to ask you about and for you to kind of talk a little bit about for our listeners here, talking about Trey Young and assist hunting. Now, first and foremost, do you believe that he is a guy that goes out there and looks just to hunt assists? And what exactly, why, why, what is the benefit to going out there and assist hunting instead of just genuinely trying to get your teammates involved? Well, it's, it's, it's a very problematic thing. Assist, hunt, assist hunting is not something 
you want to have branded to your name, as a, especially as a guy that plays point guard. So there was a blue check boy, who I like to call him, and on his uh, podcast, uh, a listener of my podcast sent it to me saying, hey, they're really getting at Trey Young, and I, I want to know your thoughts about it. So I checked out the podcast, and, yeah, a very credible, a couple of credible members of the media were really, you know, exposing or trying to expose Trey Young and assist hunting. So instead of just letting shots come in the flow of the offense, they were making the case that Trey Young likes to make assists happen, so he only wants the team to score if he's scoring it or if he's assisting on the bucket for the team to score. Now, that's a very damning indictment, as I said. So I tried to go back and watch a couple of games to see if I could pick up on that type of, like, because that's kind of obvious. Like, we've seen it with uh, Russie, Russell Westbrook, when he was averaging all the triple doubles. He was definitely assist hunting. He was definitely rebound hunting to make sure he could average that triple double. So we've seen that type of play before. But when I went back and watched the Hawks games, I didn't really see that from Trey Young. All I saw was that, look, when he's not shooting, he's trying to make something happen. But because of, I don't want to say his, his limited playmaking ability because it makes it sound like he's not that good of a player, but just in the terms of his only contribution in terms of playmaking is pick and roll stuff, pick and pop, cheap plug, and the, the type of plays where it's a direct action. Him and Collins pick and roll. He drops it off to Collins. Collins finishes at the rim. You could put Capella in that same type of situation. You could put all these guys in that same type of situation, and Trey Young can go do his thing. But when it comes to anything else in terms of swinging the ball around, ball movement, does he make the assist to the – does he make the hockey assist where it's the pass that leads to the pass? That type of stuff does not happen with Trey Young. I don't know if that's an indictment of Trey Young. I just think that's just not how Lloyd Pierce and Trey Young's. That's maybe that's Lloyd Pierce realizing that's not Trey Young's strength. So he doesn't have them run those kind of sets where he's not the one facilitating. He's the one swinging the ball to the guy who's going to eventually swing the ball to the open man. So I think it was a little bit of a jump on Trey Young type thing, just because that's been the flavor of the month, seemingly for the last couple of months. But assist hunting was something that was lobbied in his direction, and I think it was done unjustly. I think people are expecting way too much, and that goes back to our uh, our like last couple of weeks when we've been talking about is he an A player or is he a B player. Sam Dusenberry Jr., again, our guest here on The Word of the G. Time for us to step aside, take a quick break. Interesting talk, though, about assist hunting. And you're absolutely right, Sam, that – Rusty back in the day when he was trying to get that triple-double and make some history and win that MVP, yeah, he was going out of his way to find people that he could make baskets and, and trying to look for those assists and the rebound hunting and whatnot. But Trey with the assist hunting, not so sure about that. But we'll talk about it maybe a little bit uh, again at some point as the season goes on. We'll check in with Sam. He'll pay more to, uh, closer attention to that as the season goes on. But I want to step aside. I want to take a break. When we come back, We're going to talk a little bit about MVPs in the league. Who are your MVPs as it sits right now? Who is is the front runner? Who does Sam like? Who do I like? We'll also get into the all-star starters, the all-star reserves. Were there any snubs, any surprises? 
We'll pick Sam Dusenberry Jr.'s brain when we come back, when we return right here on The Word with G on ESPN 105.1 The Zone. Thirty past the hour of one o'clock. We're rocking and rolling with you until two. Greg Larnard here, you there. Get involved with the program today by hitting me up on Twitter at G underscore ESPN 1051. Hit out the phone line 423-648-1051. Again, 423-648-1051. Rejoining us now, host of the award-nominated Pick and Pop Podcast, NBA Pick and Pop Podcast, Sam Dusenberry Jr. And uh, he is currently driving and on his way to work. Man, I, I do not miss driving around uh, those New York City streets and highways and tunnels. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always it's always dicey. And, uh, you know, thankfully I'm able to get a uh, company car, so I'm not getting hey. my personal car beat up on these roads. But, yeah, I still have to make those drives. I still have to make those trips. It's uh, not, not, not always fun, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure you enjoy those nice wide-open four- or five-lane interstates out there. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it takes getting used to, again, especially in the pandemic, since I wasn't really driving anywhere prior. We were all kind of working uh, from home, but now that I'm back out here, yeah, this is not something that I miss at all. Hey, at least they're taking care of my man, giving him the company car and getting him from point A to point yeah, B. yeah. It's cool, but, I mean, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, I still have to make those drives. I'm still going to drive over those cobblestone streets over there in downtown Manhattan that just destroy. I don't know how those roads still a I don't legal know. thing in 2021, but they just destroy cars, destroy axles and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's good that it's not my car, but still, it's having those bumps, like when you introduced me, I was just finishing coming off a of cobblestone road. So I was very happy that, you know, it, it was a, uh, a nice long intro. So I was able to get past some streets because uh, my voice would have been vibrating in a way I do not want on the air. Yeah, I, uh, I remember that many times driving into uh, FAN late nights and things like that, driving around that building. There was a ton of cobblestone roads and just kind of the way it is. And, and it's just like, look, you know, we, we don't want to see shut down these roads. We don't want to have to repave them and dig it up. And it's just going to create more traffic and havoc. If we can have people just kind of drive on them and deal with it, we'll, we'll leave them for now. But you know, I, I would assume eventually, and some people like driving on the cobblestone. They think it's endearing to drive around on the cobblestone. I'm like, no, no, you, as you mentioned, the axles are going to get all crazy on my car and things are going to get ruined. I, I don't want to be driving around on that crazy bumpy road. Right. Like, as a photographer, as you, as you well know, like, those blocks are sometimes really cool for photo shoots. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, they serve no function in terms of um, keeping up with the times and the technology and everything that we have. It's kind of like an old. But, yeah, they, they serve no no purpose with how mechanics are today of these uh, automobiles. So. Nice to take photos at. I've, I've seen some photo shoots done there for, like, weddings and, and you know, bridal uh, photos and things like that. But in terms of um, actual, you know, it, it, are they enhancing the ability to drive? No, they're, they are a deterrent. Big time deterrent. I certainly do not miss those. Sam Dusenberry Jr., again, our guest here on The Word with G. Let's talk MVP race as it sits right now. We're about halfway through the season. 
Bradley Beal leading the league in points scored, nearly 33 a game. Steph Curry with 30. Joel Embiid with about 30. Damian Lillard a little under 30. And Luka Doncic at about 29. But I know points aren't everything. Give me your top five. or just, You don't have to give me them in order, but just give me the five guys that you'd put in the mix right now for the MVP race. Well, I think you have to start with Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid has finally taken that step that, you know, the Philly fans and the process fans and fans of tanking have been waiting for. And, you know, the way that he's able to dominate, and he's dominating in a way where we used to chide him. I know on your old show I used to bring this up a lot about him taking too many threes. He needs to get down on that block and do work. Well, the threes have gone down, and he's gotten work on that block. I think it finally – I think it took a former player. Some guys just don't respond to guys they don't think know the game. And the process favored a guy like Brett Brown, the former coach of the 76ers, because he was willing to take all those losses. And you weren't going to get a credible coach to sit there and take all those losses. But once they began to win, then you needed to upgrade the coach. And they didn't do that until last season when they had one too many uh, underachieving uh, seasons in the playoffs. So now they get a real coach. And even though I'm not the biggest Doc Rivers fan, he's a way better coach from an X's and O's standpoint and even from a uh, philosophy standpoint than Brett Brown. So the fact that he now has a real coach with a real system – He's got great assistant coaches in Sam Cassell. Embiid has taken that step. So he's one guy to me that is that he, if he's not the front runner, he's certainly top three. Damian Lillard is a guy where he's top five. I don't know if a lot of people kind of realize that. He's been his name gets thrown around a lot in terms of top ten, one of the best point guards or whatever. But no, he's top five in the league. So by that default, he should be in this conversation, but just off what he's done, especially with no, no C.J. McCollum, um, and obviously he's had help from the 12th leading scorer of all time in Camelo Anthony, but Dane Lillard has continued to just show his excellence. It's not like he's gotten better. I don't think he's better at anything in particular this season. I think he just had had to do so much more because of injuries to C.J. McCollum, and uh, Nurkic has been in and out of the lineup. Zach Collins, I don't know if he's even played a game this year yet. So he's had a lot more on his shoulders than in years past. So Damian Lillard cementing his status as a top-five player with MVP considerations. I don't have Luka or Steph in that uh, MVP mix. I think Luka, there's no way with, with that team floundering around and them now maybe on the verge of cutting loose or trading Chris Staff Porzingis, your former boy, I can't put any Maverick in an MVP conversation. And the Warriors, to me, even though Steph is out here doing everything that he can on a nightly basis, I just don't see anything more than just a one-dimensional player. And that's hard for me to put in an MVP consideration for who I think should be an MVP in terms of the credentials for an MVP. I think his two first, his first two MVPs were fraudulent. So I'm just not a Steph Curry for MVP kind of guy. It would take a lot for me to consider him in that mix. I would put LeBron in there, even though, you know, his shot last night 
I don't know what the hell that was to try to win the game or the other night to win the game. But um, LeBron has done everything as advertised. He hasn't missed a game this year. And with the type of minutes that he's playing now early in the season, he wasn't playing a lot of minutes. That was the thing Vogel was trying to do, trying to limit him and Anthony Davis' minutes because of the short turnaround from last year. But now with Anthony Davis being out, he's had to ratchet up LeBron's minutes again, and he's still performing and performing at a high level. So I don't know if I have five guys, G, to be quite honest. I don't think five guys have really stood out. If you want to give me Donovan Mitchell, maybe I'll throw him in there just because the Jazz have played so well. It's hard not to have someone from that team in the mix, but I really think it's a three-person race with LeBron, Embiid, and Damian Lillard. Uh, and, you know, I looked into Donovan Mitchell as well, and I agree with you with Steph. I mean, Doncic, I can see maybe a little bit, but because he's been the constant there. You mentioned Kristaps. I heard them. I was listening to that game on my way driving around yesterday, and, um, you know, they were talking about the potential to trade Kristaps Porzingis, and I just don't know if they're going to be able to move that contract with as many injuries. But as you've alluded to, you know, you get one sucker who thinks that, hey, look, if Kristaps can be healthy and this will be good for our team, Maybe you find that sucker, but um, I, and I heard you know um, Mark Cuban said that that he, they're not looking to trade Kristaps, but you know why would you not be at this point because he has not been an asset to you guys, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, that is at all this season in terms of or not even this season, but his tenure with the Mavericks, he hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to be on the court to be that Robin to Luca's Batman. But is he even a, a a Robin? He's kind of like a third guy on a good team uh, at this point, but. I looked into Donovan. Well, here, here's, here's something I, I, I'll push back a little bit, just just a little bit, mm-hmm. only because Chris Stapp's last year, when he was healthy and when Luca was healthy, they were balling. Now, again, I think people overestimate how great Luca is, and it's not a, a thing where I'm down on Luca. It's just people assume he's of that top five caliber already and that he can lead a team to a championship already. And I think they, they assume because of who he is, if you put a guy like Kristaps, who, as you said, is a two, maybe slash third option on, on a really good team, that, okay, that team can go places. Even when they both were cooking last year, they still didn't look to be a team that can go and run through the West or be a real contender. So, yes, I think they should move Kristaps because, I think the fit isn't, isn't what they thought it was. But I'm not down on Kristaps to continue to be a high-level second option or a middle-of-the-road third option on a good team. Well, here's my thing. Again, Sam Dusenberry Jr. hanging with us talking NBA. Is it, 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 it The caveat is what you started off the comment with is that when he's healthy, the problem is he just can't be healthy consistently enough to be counted on as a guy who can be a – stalwart of your team a guy who can you can rely on as being a high volume scorer and a guy who can you know bring you through you know tough moments and big moments in in a playoff game or something like that or running through the east or the west or whatever it may be he just simply hasn't been healthy enough to do that and I love Chris Stops. I loved him with the Knicks I'm, I'm glad they took him and I was disappointed when they traded him but since he's played with the Mavericks the last couple of years he just hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to to be a factor to me and that Mavericks roster the makeup of it just isn't good enough as you alluded to to really compete with those high level teams in the west 
Yeah, it's, it's just a thing where I don't think he's ever fully rehabbed. Every time he's had a major injury, he's kind of rushed because teams needed him. When when it was the Knicks, it took his brother to kind of like stop him from rushing back too early and try to get as much time rehabbing as possible before he came back as a Nick before he got traded. Or, or and then the same thing happened in Dallas where this past off season, you know, they rushed him coming back from an injury. So it's kind of like I wished he had a full chance to rehab. Now again, I'm not saying he's going to become something that he hasn't shown us. Like even at, at his peak as a Nick, it was still only a second option, a high level second option. So I'm not trying to say if he remains healthy, he he could be a number one. But I just wish he had a chance to fully rehab and really get right, and then have a chance to play with a guy like Luca, who's playing through injuries himself. It's not like Luca's been healthy this entire time. It's just if he stops playing, I mean, you might as well pack it up for this Maverick franchise. So he's been battling through numerous injuries. I mean, early in the season, he came into he came into the season fat. I think we, we can all safely say that. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't James Harden-esque, but it was close. And then he kind of played his way into shape, and then he battled little knick-knack injuries. There was an ankle, there, there was an elbow thing. So Luca's been battling through injuries too. So the fact that they think they could just move Chris Stapps and that's going to get them something in return enough to really give Luca the help that he needs, I think it's misguided. I think it's truly misguided. Unless you're going to get, as you said, if you find a sucker, you do, you do whatever you got to do. But I don't think trading Chris Stapps is all of a sudden going to make Luca and this thing run a lot more smoothly. Talking NBA with Sam Dusenberry Jr., and you mentioned Donovan Mitchell. And, look, I'd like to give Donovan Mitchell his flowers and things like that, but to me he's just not an MVP candidate. That, that – that that Jazz team is just a well-built team. I don't think it's it has a, a real MVP candidate on it. He can score like an MVP candidate, but he doesn't do enough other things in in my eyes to to be a a true MVP candidate. And another guy that you didn't mention, I know you're not huge on him because he doesn't have a secondary move. But the Nigerian freak and Giannis, he's still putting up big numbers. Uh, so people and will look at him in terms of an MVP candidate. That team I'm sure. Hasn't played well. No, they that, haven't. That but he has put up well, numbers so. still. Yeah, but see, that, that's that, that's always kind of been my whole point is, like, numbers mean something, right? Like, numbers mm-hmm. definitely mean something. you got to put up uh, a, a good amount of numbers to be an MVP. But you're also, in my opinion, in my eye, growing up in the era of Jordan, Bird, Magic, winning MVPs, like, okay, you had to win and be great. I can't give something to the Nigerian freak with, with the Joloff step and the honest onto the Kumpo. I can't give, I mean, I wouldn't have given him the last two MVPs, but I can't give him another MVP just because he's putting up ridiculous, almost triple double like numbers. I, I can't do that. And I think that's where, you know, as you mentioned, you, you don't want to give Donovan uh, that, that, that type of um, credential, but we've done it in the past, like in the Steph Curry years. He was allegedly the best player on a team with the best record, and he was handed over the MVP record, if, well, uh, the MVP award. If Donovan's the best player on the team with the best record, why can't he get that same credit that Steph got two years in a row? Well, I think I think with Steph, for in my eyes, and, and you can correct me if, if you think I'm off base on this one, but I think with Steph, what he was doing, shooting the ball at such a high rate and shooting threes the way he was and the way he was playing the game was just so different. Uh, than than we'd ever really seen before out of somebody and in, 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 in playing on such a such a high level on on as you mentioned the best team 
that maybe we've ever seen assembled in terms of a regular season and wins and stuff like that. It was just so different than anything we've ever we've ever seen before. But we've seen guys like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell isn't doing anything special that we've never seen before. Okay, so I'll, I'll take that and, and and I'll give you this. So, what does Donovan? What else does Donovan Mitchell have to do? Isn't he still shooting forty percent from three or close to it? That's Steph like. So if if Steph could go out here and be bombs away and knock down all these threes at a high clip. And Donovan Mitchell's coming right behind him, scoring 20-plus, 25-plus, and shooting threes at a high 30s, if not 40% clip. And the team, again, has the best record in the league and by a good, and by a good margin. I don't see how Donovan can't be in that mix if we've, we've given Giannis the award last year for the Bucks having the best record or the best record in the, in the East, at least, and having all those numbers. Steph years prior, like that the past practice would show that if you're the best player on the best team or, or, or a team with a, the best record in either conference, you're either going to get the MVP or get serious consideration for MVP. And Donovan Mitchell has been getting neither. But I'm, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, with Steph, he averaged 30 points a game. Donovan's only at about 24, 25, and Steph was shooting – 11 threes a game, 10 threes a game, and was making them at a 45 to 42% clip. Donovan's not quite there yet. Donovan, as I mentioned, the, the scoring numbers aren't there, 40, uh, 24 and a half points. Also, he's only shoot, shooting about nine threes a game and, and shooting it at, you know, at 39%. That's only two less than Steph. I know, well, no, I mean, in his MVP, in his MVP season, he shot it. He shot like 11, oh, over 11 threes a game. Right, and, and you said Donovan's at nine. I mean, yeah. it's not, I don't think two threes is making Donovan that much less of a candidate than Steph. All, all I'm saying is that the, the, the media has shown a bias towards giving the best player on a team with the best record. I'm not debating your point that Donovan should or shouldn't. I, you saw he wasn't in my top three. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is if, if we're going to give Steph credit this year and put him in the mix, for MVP, when he's doing nothing more than what he always does, why can't Donovan Mitchell be in a mix whose team has a way better record, is number one in the whole league, and he's putting up Steph-like numbers? The points might not be there, but in terms of the production and the efficiency, it's there. Yeah, but and he's the clear number one option. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't put. Uh, I wouldn't put Steph in the MVP can, uh, category uh, as well. I wouldn't put him in the in the top five in terms of what he's doing this year and, and again I think it just harpens back to because he's shooting more threes than he did in his MVP year he's also scoring at about the same rate uh he also doesn't have as many steals as he did in that MVP season I, we all know he's not a defensive player anyways but what I'm saying is and I and I think you may agree with me on this is that it was just so outstanding it was so so different than anything we'd ever seen before out of anybody any player to be able to shoot that many threes at such a high rate and I think just the whole Splash Brothers thing, it just kind of had this big wave of like, it kind of took over the NBA and it took over all the basketball. Because as you and I have spoken about, that it's sort of, in a way, Steph Curry's ruined the game of basketball because everybody wants to be this chucker and ducker. No, it's, it's, it's completely ruined the game. And, and, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. My, my whole thing is Russell Westbrook averaged, averaged a triple-double. They gave him the MVP. Harden did his craziness with, with the numbers he was putting up. They gave him the MVP. 
the year Kevin Durant won the MVP, they rewarded him for years prior and just continued excellence. Then we got the Steph years where it was just this, this tsunami of threes, and we gave him, well, not me. I wouldn't have given it to him. I think LeBron would have gotten at least one of those MVPs. But, you know, with, with Steph, he changed the game in a bad way. Like, that's the thing. Like, for me, it's like we're rewarding him for, for messing up the game of basketball, where now every person over six foot has to now chuck it from the logo or has to be proficient from at least the corner three. That's ruined the game to me. So giving him back-to-back MVPs and now giving him credit again this year, to me, is rewarding someone for doing the wrong thing. Because we shouldn't have six-year-olds who can barely lift the basketball trying to chuck it from half court. Used to be kids tried to dunk or kids tried to shoot fadeaways or kids tried to do crossovers. Now it's every kid wants to pull up from 30 feet out thinking that they're stuff. And no one is there to say, hey, that's not the game of basketball. That's not the only thing you could do in basketball. So, I mean, look, I'm talking to a larger point, but I think in the sense of what Steph was able to do for those two back-to-back years that I always will go to my deathbed, will go to my grave saying they were fraudulent MVPs, is that people got swept up in the threes that, that, that you talked about, but they weren't looking at what else was he doing. He wasn't doing that much else. He was literally just chucking up threes. It wasn't like he was contributing to the game in a major way in terms of passing game, in terms of rebounding the ball. He plays point guard. Can, can you remember a memorable Steph Curry assist? Nope. So it, 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 it goes to me. For me, it just goes to people got swept up in the threes, as you mentioned, and we just started handing him everything. Yeah. There were people saying that he was better than LeBron. That's what I'm and saying. I was like, are, are, are y'all kidding me? Like, this guy's not better than LeBron. <laughs> he's a better shooter than LeBron, but that's not saying much. Yeah. He's, he's a better shooter than Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, wh- whoever else you want to name, but that's not saying much. But to just law these, these awards upon him, it was just madness to me. And that's why if you're going to give him that credit of being the best player on the, on allegedly the best team at that particular season, then Donovan Mitchell deserves that same right. Sam Dusenberry Jr. here, our guest on The Word with G. We're talking NBA. We're going to step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, we won't have a lot of time, but we'll finish this bad boy up. And uh, I want to ask Sam a little something about the Lakers. We'll talk about it next right here when we, when we get back here on The Word with G on ESPN 105.1 The Zone. Final segment for a Wednesday edition of The Word with G. February 24th. 2021 Sam Dusenberry Jr. rejoins us here host of the NBA Pick and Pop podcast just quickly Sam last last thing I kind of wanted to bring up to you I, didn't, I know we didn't get a chance to get into the NBA All-Stars the reserves any snubs that you thought but I wanted to ask you about the Lakers and how concerned are you about the a, uh, AD's ability to kind of come back and, and be effective for the Lakers and without him do you think they kind of stand a chance at winning the West even or or even repeating uh, well, I, I don't think LeBron, Rich Paul, Palenka, Jeannie Buss cares anything about winning the West in terms of being the top seed or anything like that. They just want to make sure they're in the playoffs and be a top four seed, maybe get home court in the first round, whatever that looks like in this pandemic. Um, but no, I, I don't think they're worried because they did the smart thing and told Anthony Davis to go sit down. 
I think in years prior, he might have tried to play through that injury. If he was a Pelican still, he might have had no choice but to try to play through that injury, and the Achilles might have fully went boom. So I think now with him being able to take that rest and the elongated rest, it might put them in a position where you get a fully rested Anthony Davis for the stretch run, and that's scary um, because we saw what he did last year. As much as LeBron got a lot of credit for getting that championship last year, the, the versatility, the elite-level versatility of Anthony Davis goes without saying. So I think the Lakers are smart in shutting AD down, letting him get that full rehab, unlike the Mavericks with Christoph Porzingis, and letting him be fully ready and fully uh, uh, rehabbed to make that stretch run and hope and pray that the Achilles doesn't go boom. Because even though he's taking his rest, he can still come back and take an awkward step, and the Achilles can still rip. So it's still going to be touch and go even when he comes back. But I think the Lakers will be in a good position with having him fully rested. And here's the last one for you. Boogie, he was cut by Houston after just 25 games there in H-Town. I saw you tweeted something yesterday, a couple of things, that the Suns cut Damian Jones, and then you mentioned that there's probably a better fit with the Lakers or with Brooklyn where do you think uh, DeMarcus Cousins ultimately ends up and, and where exactly do you think the best fit for him would be? The baller formerly known as Boogie DeMarcus Cousins should go back to L.A. He was in L.A. last year. He likes playing with Anthony Davis. That's his boy from college. They, they, they have a kinship. He loved playing with LeBron. He was a, a casualty as they tried to readjust the roster once he got hurt last year. So I don't even think he got a ring um, from the Lakers last year. But he needs to go back, make amends. He's relatively healthy. He's about 80 85%. Um, I think he should go back to the Lakers and kind of finish what he started last year. All that being said, he could fit well anywhere. Brooklyn needs a big. A lot of teams need a big. If I'm the Clippers, I try to keep him away from the Lakers. I try to offer him a deal. If I'm Utah and you're trying to be serious, bring in a guy like DeMarcus Cousins because, as me and you have spoken about, I don't trust Rudy Gobert in a big spot. They might need a boogie to to put some put some energy, put some moxie into that lineup. So I think any Western Conference contender, Portland, with the continued injuries to Nurkic and Zach Collins, you know, Boogie could be a good fit there. A good uh, fit there. Miami, with just Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, and and having injury issues or just a lack of depth issues, you know, Boogie can fit anywhere, and that's kind of the the gift and the curse of being Boogie is you're going to be wanted by everyone, but where does he want to go? I think Anthony Davis, always having that Kentucky connection, he went to Houston to play with John Wall, or he wanted to play with John Wall, and he made that happen in Houston, albeit for the short stretch. I think he goes back to L.A. and plays with Anthony Davis again. Sam Dusenberry Jr. always bringing it when it comes to the NBA and just whenever he jumps on the on the mic and cracks the mic or the the, 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 the headphones or whatever he's on right now. Sam, appreciate the time as always. You got the Pick and Pop podcast when we have uh, the, new, uh, the new pod dropping. Hopefully it'll be dropping on Friday. Hopefully you will be featured on it and I have another guest that I'm working on as well. So kind of showing the, the, the versatility of, of having a podcast, not just be a NBA podcast will be in a versatile podcast in terms of topics. So hopefully Friday. I was going to say, we're, we're going to start venturing out into different topics, not just the NBA for you, huh? Yes, sir. That That's always been my goal when I got into this industry. When I first started doing radio in New Jersey and Long Island, 
my show was all over the place in terms of sports and music and pop culture and everything else going on. So now that the NBA thing has gotten me to a certain place, I kind of want to push it and take it to the next level. And I think that next level is talking all sports, which is my comfort zone. Hey, let's get back to those roots, my friend. Sam Dusenberry Jr., host of the Pick and Pop podcast for now, and we'll see what it comes out to be. Uh, when it's all said and done, you can find them up on Twitter at the Sam D T H E E S A M D, and you can find the podcast at Pick and Pop Pod wherever you get your podcast. Sam, have a great rest of the day. Enjoy that college basketball game that you're working tonight, and I look forward to talking to you very, very soon as we'll uh, jump on the pod together tomorrow. Thank you so much, my friend. Looking forward to it.